Morning, church. You know, I've constantly been reminded lately that it's so important to go back to our vision. And you know when I'm saying this, it means something. Because you guys know me. Uh, I'm the guy that's just, for the longest time, just preach the Bible. Why do we need a vision? Isn't that like business type of stuff? Why do we need all this culture and catchphrase or anything? But the more I learn about leadership, uh, I realize that the church is growing. You know, one of the most encouraging things, and you'll see why I'm talking about our vision when we get to the text today because it's in there, but uh, is I'm, I'm sitting there across from the Mandarin pastor, and, and you know, this, this church is multi-congregational, lots of different fellowship groups, lots of different small groups. It's so easy for disunity to happen. It's so easy for different agendas to emerge, but I've seen in the last year or so just, uh, just this unity among our staff. And, and, and we may agree to disagree on, on certain personality things and different ways of doing things, but what unites us is really going back to our vision. And so when I talk to the Mandarin pastor and I'm realizing, okay, there's so many newcomers coming in. Oh, what, what are you doing? There's so many people with, with, with different theology and they're coming in, you know, for, from a different country. And, and Pastor Frank sits and he says, it's about making disciples. It's about teaching them God's word and helping them understand what it means to be part of God's family. And how to, what the definition of marriage is in God's design for the family. And what it means that parents have to disciple their children. And, and how that unites over with the English side. And what it means to, to be missional in God's world. And then you know Cantonese is, is also along those same lines of, of their entire Sunday school structure being built on disciple making. And learning sound doctrine. And what it means to live out a true life. And then you know the Cantonese is all about evangelism and outreach too. They have that ping pong ministry. But what unites us when we come to the table is that we have God's vision. And if you don't remember our longer vision, it, it, it's written in your bulletin. But the more and more I realize it, it's more for us leaders to get on the same page and to know where we're leading our people. And our vision is to glorify God by being a vibrant church of disciple makers that's driven by a passion for God's word, God's family, and God's world that reproduces vibrant churches locally and globally. And I, I know people have asked, they're like, what does that even mean? What's a vibrant church? Well, vibrant church is filled with vibrant disciple makers. What's that? Well, we're biblical, intergenerational, and missional. That's still language. What is that? And so, so then we came with these indicators saying, well, a vibrant disciple maker loves God and people passionately, lives authentically as genuine disciples of Jesus Christ. And my take on that is lordship salvation. Okay? And <laughs> so see, so we can all have our little take on it. That's why it's so important that we at least have a high level of unity, right? Give, uh, give generously. Well, our take on that is stewardship and to go courageously. And our take on that is the everyday missionary. And so uh, today, what I want you to see, the title of today's message is The Blessed Life. And the blessed life is God's vision of what he wants for us. When God looks down at the world, he actually sees a priority. And today, the priority you're going to see is one, God's word, God's family, and then God's world. That is actually the order of his priority. You're going to see that in today's text. And so it's wonderful when you read through the scriptures, you say, hey man, that's our vision, it's in there. It's God's word, God's family, and God's world. And that's God's vision of the blessed Life. If you have God's word, turn with me to Psalm 128, where I want you to see this. It's only six verses, so I'll read this to you. 
Psalm 128, verses 1 to 6, then we'll go ahead and explain it in original context. And as New Testament Christians, we always have to ask, how does this apply under the new covenant? So we'll do that as well. Okay, so Psalm 128, let me read this to you. Psalm 128 says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed. It shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Verse 1, notice it starts with blessed is everyone who fears the Lord God. This word blessed in the Hebrew, it doesn't mean blessed the way that we think of blessing. When you think of the blessed life, you know, when I think of the blessed life, I think life in Southern California minus traffic, minus the bad air, right, and minus the taxes, and maybe in more conservative states, right, and so you're thinking of Texas, but over in California, right, it's, it's impossible, or Florida, but without the humidity. So this blessed life really is not something that happens in this world. We think of the blessed life and we think of an ease of life, a comfort in life. But that's not really what God is talking about because even as the psalmist writes this, this is a time when Israel is under exile. Right? This is a, a time when Israel is coming back from exile. This is a time where Israel is not actually reigning. They're under a foreign nation. And so this blessed life is the life that begins with our internal state. It is a life that's from within. And the life from within gives you a vision to live that if you fear the Lord and you live under the vision of the Lord, then whatever challenges you face in life, no matter who is reigning, whether it's the Babylonians or the Assyrians, no matter what government you're under, no matter how hard it is to bring about the fruit of your labor, no matter what challenges you have in your family or in your singleness, you're able to experience blessing. So what is this blessing? The Hebrew definition of this blessing in its original context is a holistic happiness. It means happy. So if you're taking notes, you can actually say happy, happiness. It's not just an emotional happiness. It is a true deep happiness that comes from a holistic, true surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in a New Testament context. You know, Jesus picked up on this in, in the Sermon on the Mount where in the Beatitudes, he starts every single line with blessed are those who fill in the blank. Blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. And when he says blessed, you could translate that to happy are. Happy are those who fear the Lord. Happy are those who trust in God, right? Happy. And so it's a true blessedness that cannot be found in this world because the world we live in doesn't seem so blessed. Notice it says everyone who fears the Lord. And, and what you see here, and this leads us to point number one, what you see here is basically the psalm is drawing on basic Old Testament principles. And he's talking about the vision of, point number one is people of God's Blessing. That's point number one. People of God's blessing. What does it mean to be people of God's blessing? And, and this is this is again drawn from Old Testament theology. It begins with the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord 
can be very subjective. What does fear mean? Well, fear here, first and foremost, it does not mean to tremble. That's one definition of fear, trepidation. And yes, if you acknowledge that God is sovereign and holy and almighty, you do tremble before his presence. And those who don't have a personal relationship with God, on the day of judgment, they will tremble in complete uh, terrification and fear. But those who have a personal relationship with God fear him where they know that he's big and holy and he will judge sin, but they understand what it means to have reverence for God. It is a proper relationship with God that you put yourself under him in reverence, but you, you acknowledge that you revere him because he loves you. And because he loves you, he's revealed himself to you. And how he's revealed himself to you is through his word. In the Old Testament, God gave his law. He communicated the law and said, if you want to know my heart, if you want to know what pleases me, then I've written it down. Not just in the Ten Commandments, but through Moses, he's recorded five books called the Torah. And in one of those books, Deuteronomy, you see that it begins with fearing God. And so if you look at Deuteronomy verse Chapter 8, verse 6, it says, This is what it means to fear the Lord. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. So when people say, what does it even mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means to walk in His commandments. Well, how do you know what His commandments are? It's God's Word. And so the vision of the blessed life, the vision of what it means to be vibrant and to have a holistic, true blessing and holiness begins with his word. If you don't have his revelation, if you don't have his word, you don't even know where to start. And so surrendering to God begins with sound doctrine. So when we say to be disciple makers driven by a passion for God's word, what we mean is sound doctrine. It's written down somewhere. The gospel, which, can, which is contained in the 66 books of the Bible, this is God's word, is that everything, if you want blessing, there is an order, a priority. It begins with God's word. Because if you don't have a starting point, you don't know where to begin. And this is where the Old Testament authors understood this, that it begins with the commandments of the Lord. And that's what it means. You know, then you try to walk. And that's what it means to fear him. You trust him. That's why you walk according to his ways. The psalmist picked this up again. in Psalm 112 verse 1. Psalm 112 verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Well, what do you mean by that, psalmist? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, it means to greatly delight in his commandments, right? Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, not because you have to obey him or else he's going to destroy you. That's a true statement. In, 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 in the view of eternity, there is eternal judgment for those who do not know the Lord. But, but that's not the attitude, right? The attitude is, I want to obey him and I fear him out of love because I greatly delight in his commandments. You know, sometimes when you don't have direction in life, you get lost. And when you get lost, it leads you into trouble. And in the same way, anybody that you love, you want to give them some instruction or guidance, right? Whether it's your friends or your children. You want to guide them because you love them. In the same way, without God's word, there is no guidance. Without sound doctrine, there is no 
There, there are no fences as to boundaries of what it means to live within God's, God's love. Right? God's love becomes subjective without His Word, without commandments. Love is very subjective. Oh, we love. But in every household, there are some rules because there's love. Love has to guard. Love has to guide. Love has to discipline. At the same time, love doesn't seek to control. Love motivates. And love motivates people to love from within. And out of that motivation, we fear God. Not because we must. Though, yes, we must. But we love because we, in response to His love. Right? Is that He first loved us and we respond to Him by fearing Him out of love. And so we greatly delight when He reveals His commandments to us. When you want to please someone, you ask them. You ask them. Only in a marriage is, 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 do you have something that exists that a husband is supposed to read the woman's mind. You know, like how, can you tell me how to love you? Well, if I told you, then it would defeat the purpose. You know, I don't think God designed it that way. You know, God tells us, right? He says, this is what it means to please me. I've given you commandments. So wives, will you please tell us and tell your husbands what it means to please you, right? That's, that's totally from secular thinking, by the way. But from, from a biblical mindset, when you love someone, you tell them what it's like to please you. That's exactly what God does for us. And he tells us through commandments, he tells us in his word, and he says, he says this is what it means to love me. You want to love me? You walk in my way. And then when we say, thank you, God, because when you don't reveal your will to me, I don't know where to go. But when you reveal your, your will to me through your word, I know where to go and my path is straight. And so I greatly delight. Give me more commandments. You see, the secular thinking is that God controls. The secular thinking is if God gives me his law, then that limits me. But the biblical thinking is, God, if you tell me where to go, then I don't stumble. So give me more of yourself by giving me more of your word. And the more of your word that I have, the more I delight. Because then my path is straight. Right? When you love someone, you tell them where to go. You guide them. Love must come with guidance. When you love someone, you communicate to them what is right and what is wrong. And the same way when you love someone, you want to know what pleases them. And that's the relationship between man and God, God and man. Back in our passage, notice in verse 2, this, this vision of the blessed life continues. Not only are the people of God's blessing, they fear the Lord and they walk in His ways because they have His word, but, but it, it focuses on labor, God blessing labor. Let me just say this, when you read a passage like this, unless it's exposited and explained, it almost seems like a pie-in-the-sky verse, right? You're like, oh, God's blessing, fear the Lord, walk in His ways. Yes, we all say amen, amen. But then you begin to look, and, and he talks about, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. And then it talks about the blessing of your family. And then we, we're, we're reminded that, there's a hardness to life, isn't there? There's a difficulty to life. That it, let, let's just start with uh, work. How many of you guys work is easy? Any of you? I mean, please, work is easy. I mean, I, I, some of you may love what you do, and that's not the same as work is easy. Anybody in here would say work is easy, or studying is easy? Right, anybody? I mean, I, I just think you're not from this world if you're like, work is easy. No stress. 
Okay, okay, now let's go into the home. Okay. How many of you guys marriage is easy? Anybody in here? Like 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 you have to be married for more than one day, okay? But but how many of you guys marriage is easy? Anybody? Okay, raising children. It describes children like like it describes like how many of you guys having like becoming pregnant is easy? Anybody? Right? I mean, you look at this. Like like it's it's like the kids just come out like a like a vine vineyard, right? Anybody raising children is easy? Raise your hand. I want to know you. You pastor me, please. Okay. Okay. And then, and then those of you who are are, are single, how many of you guys singleness is easy? Unless you 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 just love that. How, how many of you guys singleness is easy? Anybody? Singleness is easy. Right. Okay. So when you read a verse like this, a passage like this, it's easy to say, you know what? This passage goes against common sense. Life is hard. Life is not blessed. It's not like this. This is too poetic. This is too, you know, well-wishing. This is a pie-in-the-sky God. But when you, when you really look deep into the text, actually, the psalmist is giving us exactly the wisdom that we need. He's saying that if you begin with God, and if, if your priority in life is God first, fearing the Lord first above all and seeking to walk in his ways, if you can delight in his commandments and begin there, then despite the challenges in life, he meets you. And life doesn't become easier, but you, you feel blessed. Now, now let's go into this and kind of look at what he means. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, which means whatever f- labor, whatever fruit comes out of your hard work, if you see that that is out of God's provision, whether it's big or small, you begin to say, God, thank you for providing. The Lord's Prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread. God, thank you for providing our daily bread. Thank you for feeding myself, letting me feed myself through my work. Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to feed others, whether it's my friends or whether it's my family. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands, right? That's the blessing is that because of the fall of man, work is hard. It's not easy for fruits to grow, for crops to grow. There's, there's the heavy heat, there's, there's the natural elements. Now you take that into our modern world and work is hard. Work is stressful. Work is not easy. God never promised that it would be easy. But the fruit of our work, see, that's, that's the fruits, right? If it, if it was so easy, you wouldn't call it fruits. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that's just what it is. But understand what fruit is. The biblical picture of fruits. Someone has to plant the seed. And you've got to water it. But where does water come from, God? If there's drought, there's no water. Right? So first you begin with God. If there's no sunlight, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm a bad, bad at science, a photosynthesis, whatever, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen, right? Basically, your stuff doesn't grow, you don't eat. There's a famine in the land, you don't eat. So, but just think of how hard the labor is. That's why we call it fruit, right? It's hard. You got to water it. You got to make sure the ground is good. You know, you fertilize the, the ground and everything like that. Um, that's the same thing you do at work. It's stressful. You go to work. You deal with people. You deal with yourself. You deal with deadlines. You deal with projects. If you work at home, oh man, you know that's even harder because you're probably raising kids. The fruit of your labor is hard. But that's why whatever comes out of it, the fact that you're able to bring fried chicken to the table, <laughs> you know, Popeye's has a Tuesday special, 
or, or, or you, cook, <laughs> you, you, you bring home that Pyology Tuesday or Chick-fil-A every, every day except for Sunday, you know, in and out every day. You know, you, you bring home, you know, you, or you cook the food, you know, that, that you call that fruit of your labor because work is meant to be hard. You, you see how it changes your perspective? When, when God is first, your answer is not, hey, work should be easy. Your answer is, work is hard. That's why I need God to give me the proper perspective. That, that there's going to be fruits when I trust him in the midst of this labor. You shall be blessed, not with the ease of life, but with the proper perspective of priorities. And it shall be well with you, even in the midst of the labor. So even in the midst of the labor with your hands, it will be well with you. You're okay with the difficulties of life and whatever life might throw at you because you have something internal that's anchoring you. It's the blessing of the Lord. And that's beautiful. The psalmist didn't just pull this out of nowhere. He pulled this from God's word. Deuteronomy 28. I put up some various verses up for you because it's too long to fit on one slide. And it's already 24 fonts, so hopefully you can read that. You know, I see, I'm, I'm bad with this font, so I'm playing around with it. But let me read you the whole passage, verses 1 to 6. It says this, And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, which is written in Scripture, being careful to do all His commandments that I commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Wait a minute, what about the Israelites who are doing this, but they're not... You know, they're, they're, they're not above all the nations of the earth. They're under Assyrians or the Babylonians. You see, it, it's, it's the fact that the Lord leads you from the heart. Verse 2, And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, whatever city, Los Angeles, with smog and traffic and crime. But you know what? We don't have to shovel snow, right? Begin to count the blessings. You don't have to freeze to death in a winter and go out there and warm up your car first and wait for the ice to melt. You see what I'm saying? You begin to count the blessings. When I went to Kentucky, after I came back, I stopped complaining about traffic for a day. <laughs> you know, I, I went to Kentucky to study my doctor of ministry, like Terrence's, and I went in January, and my friend's like, hey, hold on, okay? I'm going to go out and warm up the car. I'm like, you know, 30 minutes before? I mean, nobody steals your car. It's too cold. Nobody steals cars. So, so in his apartment complex, all seminary students, I guess, everybody's got their car started. Nobody's stealing the car. And he has to start his car. 30 minutes, he heats it up. Then he goes out. He's like, hold on. I got to take the, take the like, a, you know, whatever, the, the ice scraping thing off the thing. And then, they, and then they salt the roads and everything. It's crazy. I'm like, you can't afford a garage. Like, no, that's for the rich people. <laughs> you know, so, so if you don't own your home with a garage, you're doing that every morning. I say, you do this every morning? Yeah. And sometimes when it snows, like nobody goes to school, nobody goes to work. I'm like, isn't that great? He's like, no, you still have to get stuff done. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather sit in traffic. Take me back to California now. I am freezing. I am freezing. And, you know, it, I don't have to buy that many clothes. And so, so you see what I'm saying? The blessing shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. It's always easy to complain and see the grass is greener, greener elsewhere, right? Blessed shall you be in your city, no matter what city that is. 
Blessed shall you be in the field, no matter how difficult the field of your labor is, or where God has called you, verse 4 of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Blessed shall you be, shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. And so in Old Testament theology, the, the biblical thinking was that God's blessing is seen in the production of the things that you need in life in terms of your, 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 your food and your, your cows so that you can produce. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl if that's what you do for a living. And verse 6, blessed shall you, shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And so this is where the psalmist is pulling his theology and his doctrine from. He's pulling from this idea that God blesses everything that we do. And that blessing is not ease of life, but it's looking to God, to depending on him to bless your cattle. Again, if, if a disease or a plague spreads and you, all your cows die, then that goes your industry right there. Right? So everything depends on the Lord. Now, if you go to verse 3 of our passage, right, it describes the wife of a blessed man as a fruitful vine. Those of you who are single, I will get to you. Okay, but this, this applies to all of us, whether you're married or not. And this, this applies to all of us, whether you can have children or can't have children. Right? Because God is sovereign over childbirth. So verse 3, it says, describes the wife of a blessed man as a fruitful vine. This is what he saw. A fruitful vine. She brings him joy like wine is the fruit of a grape orchard. The children are also described as the fruit of labor. Olive shoots around the table. So let me read you the verse. Psalm 128, verse 3. It says, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now, let me break this down a little more. And I, I listened to the message last week while I was at the coming back from the wedding. And uh, Pastor Terrence did an excellent job expositing the, the previous psalm. And do you understand that sex does not happen, so sex is, is, is needed for procreation, right? But you know, sex doesn't happen when there's, when there's a marriage problem. When husband and wife don't have an intimate emotional relationship, there's not a physical intimacy that, that happens, doesn't take place, and children, so there's not even a starting point. So you don't even talk about you know issues like infertility or things. You don't know if you're not if you're not trying, right? So your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Well, what does that mean? That means there's a priority of the marriage happening. That means the person is laboring, but trusting God with his laboring labor, not laboring so much that he or she is working so much that they're not coming together intimately, emotionally and not coming together physically because they're too tired, but they're actually emotionally connected and having sex in the context of marriage, right? So that so the fruitful vine illustration can even happen. And notice this within your house. So this is talking about within the privacy of the marriage bed. This is not talking about promiscuous relationship, but this is talking about family life. Your wife, if you're married, your wife. It doesn't say your mistress or, or random woman or a random guy or... Uh, or something like that. It says your wife. So first, there is God's order and priority of marriage. Then there's God's marriage. There needs to be intimacy, which means there's emotional connection and communication happening within your house. 
And then your children will be like olive shoots. It's again, it's fruit of labor. So what does this teach us? It teaches us that marriage is hard. Fruitful vine, have, have any of you guys tried to plant a vineyard in your backyard? Well, first of all, it's really hard to grow grapes under certain climate and certain soil, right? So move to Temecula or Napa Valley. It's really hard. It's not easy. Marriage is hard. Communication is necessary. Time is necessary. Rest is necessary. It's hard. And the fruit of it is the joy of the marriage bed. Meaning, getting to that point is a battle. So nowhere is the psalmist romanticizing marriage like this simple thing that Hollywood has put forth. Guys, it's hard. And you got to... You, you got to prioritize the house. And then it says your children. Then your children. It's hard. Children are the fruits of labor. Olive shoots. Again, it's not easy. Around your table. How hard is it to gather the family for dinner when the children are young? Someone's throwing food. Someone's throwing a tantrum. How hard is it? get to that point. Everyone's mad at you know each other. you got to calm down. It's hard. So the psalmist never says it's easy. But he says it's, it, it's a blessing when you prioritize God. So you see, and if you're single, for someone who ministers to both adults and young adults, I always, always love the singles. Especially in a family church like ours, the singles are always left out, right? Everything's family ministry. Everything's about family, but what about any singles in here? Singles, if you're not married, you're single, okay? So count yourself among that. Until you put a ring on it, you know, that covenant's not made, right? So if you're single, how you apply this is in your relationships. You see, a blessed life is an ordered life. That means life ordered by God's priorities and purposes. And what you see here is the opposite of what the world tells you. The world tells you that the most important thing is your identity and your purpose in life, and that comes from, from your achievements. And where, do you, where can you actually achieve where you get praise? It's in the marketplace. So first, it begins with your grades. You're taught very young that that's where you get your pride, or that's where you, you get your boastful pride of life, is, is in your production. And then it leads to your workplace, right? And that's your priority. And then your family is second. That's the world. God says it's relationships first. First, your relationship with him. Love God, love people. Love your neighbors yourself. How will they know that you are Jesus' disciples? By your love for one another. Not by your production of work. That's secondary. Right? That's tertiary. So you love God, you love people. So if you prioritize as a single, if you prioritize your relationships first, that's what God is calling for. And if you see work as a necessary means to an end of provision for those relationships, you'll have the right order in life and you'll be less stressed. You know, I've been learning this myself from the beginning till now, right, of, of seeing, you know, there's always the temptation to produce. I'm not talking about being responsible. I'm, I'm talking about producing and continue to achieve in life and in ministry. 
And even sometimes parenting now is an achievement because you can post and you can blog and you can write about like all of your achievements and it makes you feel good because everyone's like, oh, you're such a great parent. Right? But, but I mean, that's, that's okay to help each other that way. But I'm saying so much of the world is all about achievement and, and we've reversed it. And, and when you prioritize it that way, you get stressed out. So if work is everything, then you're going to neglect your relationships and then everything else will be messed up, right? Because you're, you're, your work is going to be stressful, no doubt. Then if your marriage is bad because you're not prioritizing it, that's really stressful, and then your kids hate you, welcome to life, right? That's the difficulty of life. You see that. But when you look at it the other way around, what is most important? God first, then marriage, then children, then your work. It, 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 it allows you to experience the blessing of the blessed life. Let me apply this to both singles and married once again. You know, married couples experience God's blessing how? You experience God's love in a deep way because marriage is hard. And so if you're married, you experience God's love by, by seeing transformation of your character by committing to one relationship over a lifetime. And as you work through that one relationship over a lifetime, you begin to, to die to your selfish ways and you experience God's love. You see the gospel played out. You experience a first-hand account of the gospel in your marriage relationship because you have to forgive unconditionally. Okay? And it's, a, it's permanent, it's intimate, there's a challenge, and that's how you receive God's blessing is by, by going deep in one relationship. But you know what? It limits you. If you are married, you cannot do as much ministry. You cannot be gone from home every single night. You cannot be ministering to everybody else's kids, but not your own. You can't be attending meetings every Sunday at church, but, but not going to your kid's soccer game or your kid's piano recital. Okay, you can't do that. You can't be going to Sunday, Sunday meetings and never watching your kids in, in whatever it is, Bible drill or something like that. Right? You can't do that. You cannot prioritize everything else and, and, and put church on top of it. And, and neglect your kids, and neglect your wife. You cannot be counseling everybody else, but not spend any time, any time with your wife. So, of course, I'm confessing to you where God, God has taught me, right, over the last 10 years. And I, I, I think I'm in a better place, you know, learning his priorities. But if you're single, Paul says, sky's the limit. Here's the blessing for singles. For those who are not married, you bear witness not to the deepness of God's love in one relationship, but if you're single, there is a wide reach of God's blessing unto others. A wide reach of God's blessing unto others. Compared to most married couples, you're not limited in time. You can commit to many ministries, and you can disciple many people in a healthy context. Same gender. Okay? Guy on guy, girl on girl, discipleship one-on-one. Working... You can, instead of working through the conflicts of marriage, you can have many relationships and work through those conflicts. I realized that when I was a youth pastor, you know, I, I could work till 2 a.m. every night. I can, I can go out. I was single for the longest time. I could go out and meet anybody. Uh, you know, you call me, hey, I broke up with my, my boyfriend, my girlfriend. Okay, let's go meet at Denny's, but if you're a girl, you know, bring, bring more people so it's not one-on-one, and let's do this, you know. We can study all night. I can sermon prep to 2 to 3 a.m., I could wake up at 10 a.m. because nobody comes in, you know, church doesn't start till 10 a.m., right? Uh, on an average day, 9 a.m. at the earliest. 
Nobody's going to come make appointment with you at 6 or 7 a.m., right? So, so when you're single and you're youth pastor, you could do a lot. And, and the, my capacity was like this. I had no wife, no kids. I could do everything. And then I tried to take that same capacity and put that into the marriage life. And then put that into the kids' life. And I got depressed. Because I could not achieve at, at the same level. See how my priorities are mixed up? That's what I'm saying. Sometimes don't complain when you're single if you want to serve God. Because Paul said it. If you're single, you can serve God like 110 miles per hour. If you're married, you must prioritize your marriage and your family. Because once you're married, it's out of the harmony of the marriage and the parenting that flows, your ministry flows out of that. But when you're single, your ministry flows out of your availability to be everywhere. And, and when you're single, your capacity, your plate is like this. You still have to watch your limits, otherwise you'll burn out. But your plate is like this. And, and, and you can fellowship and you can sleep whenever you want. And you can fall asleep, you know, watching ESPN every night to unwind. No, I'm just kidding. It goes on rerun anyways, right? So it puts you to sleep. So that's the blessing of being single. Okay. Now verse 4. Okay, verse 4 of our passage. The psalmist returns to our relationship with God. Notice it says, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So he begins with God. He bookends it with God. Fear of the Lord here refers once again to the healthy fear of God. Now for New Testament Christians, the Lord is Jesus Christ. So it's simply transitioning from Yahweh to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through fearing and having a healthy relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ and surrendering to his priorities in life. That's where we get our blessing. So the blessed life, the people of God's blessing, point number one, is understand God's priorities. That God prioritizes first relationship with him, relationship with others, whether that's your family or if you're single, the people that he's placed in your life. and then lastly work is third okay that's the priority that's the order of the priority now point number two is we'll, we'll go quickly okay point number two is prayer for god's blessing we see this in verses five to six notice in verses five to six the psalmist offers a prayer for god's people which means for you hebrew scholars i've taken the jessup interpretation uh, there's always one person in here that's like a hebrew scholar a couple weeks ago, I'm glad I, I, you know, I wasn't preaching. I think Dr. Jerry Huang was here. And so, so there's, there, you know, whether this is a prayer or simply just a statement depends on how you interpret the, the Hebrew. And in verse 5, when it says the Lord bless you, some of your translations say may the, may the Lord bless you. And that's a different interpretation. I've taken the Jessup of the Hebrew. I think John Ng or there's, there's some Hebrew nerd in here with a Hebrew Bible somewhere. Okay. So just got to do your homework when you have experts out there. <laughs> Uh, John Ng is a Hebrew expert, or he was, by the way, when he was in seminary. I don't know if you guys know that. He took advanced Hebrew, and, and I had graduated, like, I don't know, three years before him. And by the time he was in his senior year at Talbot, his Hebrew was much more advanced than mine. I probably still can own you on Greek, but you know what? Again, achievement, right? Pr uh, proud boasting. I'm just kidding. But he's a Hebrew expert. So I say, the Lord bless you as a prayer. It's a prayer. The Lord bless you from Zion. Notice that it flows out of God's city. But if Zion is under foreign rule, what is this then? This is the vision of a, 
of a world where God would reign out of his Jerusalem. And we know this points forward to the new Jerusalem in the new heavens and new earth. And this points forward to the, to the foretaste of the new Jerusalem, which is the church. The Lord bless you from his people, from where his people surrender under his reign. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. So now he's saying, you know, if, if it begins in the home, then all these homes are in cities, and all of this is under the Lord, and if everyone is under God's order, then the city will experience blessing, even if you're in a foreign nation. Then verse 6, it talks about multiple generations of faithfulness. Notice, once again, the priority of relationships. May you see your children's children. This is talking about grandparents. Grandparents. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let me give a practical, well, let me give you the Bible verses first. Okay? And then a practical exhortation to grandparents. Psalm 103.17. It says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. You see the, the grandparents illustration there? What is the blessed life to God? Right? So again, in this world, it's if you don't have children, you can achieve more because there's, there's not a weight around your, your, you know, your leg and you can become like rich and famous and all that. But notice what it's saying. Not only should you, you know, not only is there a blessing in children. Again, if you're single and God's called you to that, it's a lot of spiritual children in ministry. But not only is there blessing in your own children, but your children having children. Meaning there's got to be a healthy priority of relationships, right? Proverbs 17.6. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged. And the glory of children is their fathers. And the HIV version, it says, Hanley International, it says, uh, the, the job of a grandparent is to spoil their children. <laughs> grandchildren are the crown of the age and the glory of the children of their father. I mean, any grandparents in here? Look, we need you more than ever. Okay, we need you more than ever. This is this is a time where, and so I'm putting out the challenge. I know there's there, there, there's some of you who you know are talking about this, but this can be a vibrant ministry in our church. Um, Grandparents, we really need your help. You know, in the state of California, to survive, unless you're like, I don't know, a surgeon or something, most of us need, uh, you know, if, if, unless you want to, um, unless you want to live somewhere where maybe your, your, your grandchildren might get shot by a drive-by, I mean, that's fine if you're called to that field, but I mean, I, I think that's not our ideal. Um, you know, you need two incomes, basically, or at least one and a half income to survive. Okay? This is not Kentucky. This is not Texas. It's not Indiana. Again, all those family ministry books, they're awesome, but they're like talking about places where you could buy a house for $180,000, you know, five bedroom or $200,000. And, and so even to rent, it, it's, it's like the cost of a mortgage, right, just without a down payment. So it's very hard to disciple our children directly the way, uh, unless, you know, your parents are paying for everything for you, buying your home and everything. It's hard. And so what we need now are grandparents who are solid in the gospel and doctrine going side by side with the parents, helping us disciple our children. And so if there's any way that FCBC Walnut can equip grandparents to go to grand, gospel-centered grandparenting training conferences, grandparents to go to seminary, 
grandparents to help us. You know, look at what it says here. Look at what it says. His grandchildren are the crown of the age and the glory of the children is their fathers. We desperately need your help. You know, to, it's not because we don't want to be responsible. If I wasn't a pastor, I couldn't work from home two to three days a week. But honestly, you know, I do most of my work at nights because when you're raising the kids, it's hard to sermon prep like this, you know. And the only people who can come over for counseling are men, right? If you're willing to come over. And so, grandparents, we need your help. Not just to babysit. I don't want you to see this as babysitting. But we need your help reinforcing for us when we can't be there because we can't survive without two incomes. Again, unless, you know, one person is making that much money to survive in in Southern California. And that's why more and more young people are thinking about Texas and making that move. And, And that's okay, you know, because if you prioritize family, and if you don't have the help of your parents because your parents have passed away or they live far away or they live in Asia, then it's okay to think about Oregon and Texas, places where you can actually raise your family and not overwork. It's very important that, that the parents are there discipling this generation. Look at this generation. Look at the liberal climate that they're growing up in. You know, we can complain about it, but we have to do something about it, right? And that means the parents have to be there. Even if we can't afford to homeschool because we don't have the time, we have to look at everything that they're learning. And it's almost like homeschooling them, but sending them to school and then, you know, helping them disengage from whatever they learn and then implementing the gospel-centered truth in. So we're homeschooling whether we send our kids to school or not, right? We just basically do the homeschooling after school. you got to do it. you got to do it. So I'm interested in learning more about classical conversations reading about the homeschool material, because that's what we're doing in the summer. You know, even if we send our kids to public school, we're going to have to teach them, and this is where we really need the grandparents' help. So that's my cry for help. Hopefully parents, you know, uh, you know, you can, uh, but what does that mean? That means some of us have to reconcile with our parents. Right, so, big idea this morning. Fear the Lord and anticipate his blessing over our labor and our families. That's the original Old Testament principle. Okay, that's the original Old Testament principle. The New Testament principle applies more readily to singles. When you take that under the new covenant, its true blessing is not the ease of life. The big idea for New Testament Christians is true blessing is finding joy in Christ despite the challenges of work and relationships. True blessing is finding joy in Christ, despite the challengings of work and relationships. And what we learn from the psalmist is that fruit requires going through difficulties. Let's pray. Father, we come before you as people who live in a world where life is hard. Singleness is hard and it's lonely. Marriage is hard, and we barely have time for each other. Raising children is hard. Discipling them is even harder, and we need the power of the Spirit. Work is hard. Survival in Southern California is hard. But Lord, you did not promise us ease. Instead, you've offered us yourself 
Shepherd us through the difficulties of life. First, Lord, reorientate our priorities. Reorder our priorities where we would seek to surrender to your word and your way first. Then help us to prioritize the relationships in our life. Then what we do for you. Then what we do in this world. Help us to see work as a means of providing rather than the sole, our sole identity and purposes. And Father, we pray, Lord, as a church, that we would truly be a church that's vibrant because we're driven by a passion for your word first. And then your family, both nuclear family and church family, and then the world, to reach them for Jesus. Help our church to be an example of a city on a hill that shines as light in a world of darkness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.